from YO1 Radio's Live Lounge. This is the doctor, the therapist, and the coach, with your host, Gemma Taylor. Well, hello, everybody in podcast world. Uh, welcome, Dr. Angela and Colette, to the Doctor, the Therapist, and the Coach podcast. How are you? A bit stressed this morning. Really? A little bit. Colette? I'm lovely. Absolutely <laughs> lovely. I've just had a bag of cashew nuts and I've got a coffee. Couldn't be better. <laughs> the kids have gone back to school, by the way. Yes. Just saying it might be impacting my wellness. <laughs> Dr. Angela, why are you stressed? I, do you know, honestly, I think it's to do with my timekeeping and what I think I can do in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and your um the the back to school thing i think is um is actually quite a really good way of getting on to today's subject um today's subject is all about change and back to school really is a huge change i mean all the changes that are involved in going back to school for example um i know that uh, we have a child colette and i have a child of the same age um and they have both gone into what you would call senior school right or um yeah senior senior yeah, yeah. so um year seven senior school you know new uniform for my kid <laughs> as we know he's not a mad fan of the collar <laughs> he's trying to stop me from talking i think was the uh, actual quote uh, but change change can be very good it can be very bad it can be fulfilling it can be all sorts of stuff um so who's going to start who wants it i deal with the change you do i do that's and a big change. It, it is. Would you say it's one of the biggest? I think it's a big transition for women. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And what change do you deal with, Colette? Well, this morning, I didn't have to get anybody up, which was quite nice, because um, <laughs> my girls live at their school. So um, that was a big change in my house. And in my clinic, interestingly, actually, I've got a couple of people who are coming to the end of their work with me. And sometimes it happens that you can hear people are wanting to stay a bit longer and kind of draw it out a bit. Um, and maybe like maybe this today would have been their last session, but they're saying, oh, well, can we maybe have it next week instead? Mm. So just to keep that connection. Um, and I think we're talking endings a lot at work and, and that kind of ending of it's OK, this isn't being done to you. It's it's with you. Yeah. It's about your own agency. Um, and, and that change of kind of stepping out of what, what's been comfortable, what's been nurturing, what's become known, a relationship that you know yourself in and you know me in and you know what's expected into the world again, which maybe is a bit scary and maybe it didn't work so well the first time. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what, what I suppose I've been dealing with mostly this week. I think one of the things, um, you know, obviously in, in, in any sort of gym or in my clinic um, is... Uh, is is the change that people are looking for or wanting Mm -hmm. and have either struggled to not do on their own so they're looking for a helping hand or you know it's and we do and and like we've always said before it's like a big jigsaw that we put together you know people are coming to me because they want change Mm. maybe they're coming to you and obviously I'm generalizing here but they're coming to you because change has happened and they don't know how to deal with the change sometimes and they're coming to you because change is upon them yeah I was going (laughs) to say is I think sometimes people come in asking me to help them with a change they want to make but mostly it's because something's happened yeah. that they weren't ready for and I've got to kind of help them to transition to a, a new stage yeah and I think you know sometimes change just like anything really is a little bit I wouldn't say scary scary for some but it's it's something that change what I what I've seen with any age group is 
is the newness of something, isn't it? It's like um, sometimes it's the the unknown. Sometimes it's it's going back into the known or or whatever. But it's 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 not something that's the same. It's also inevitable. And I think that we're not very good at kind of accepting that that is something that's going to happen to all of us. So we like to, I think we like to feel in control. Yeah. And I think anxiety is very much linked to that feeling that you want to control as many variables as you can do. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, for me, looking at hormonal health, that's the one bit that's really difficult to control. It's going to happen when it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so my, my sort of role is more about, you know, arming people with things that they can do, tools and medicines and things that help them to make the change go in the direction they want rather than somewhere they don't want it to go. Okay, so so looking at the hormonal change and, you know, we've, we've it's not just menopause. And I think that that's something that is very important that... You know, even though obviously we, we will talk about menopause, but changing is also puberty. Mm. It is also um, for men, you know, what is now classified in the social world as menopause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's it's hormonal fluctuations. It's that monthly fluctuation. I think as women, you know, going through your fertile years, you are changing every four weeks or so. And I yeah. think for some people that's pretty smooth and they don't notice a massive difference with it. But for other women, there are really big implications in mood and like physical and athletic performance and yeah stuff like that so yeah what actually if we focus on on menopause i think there's quite a lot of people that listen to our podcasts that are of that sort of age category the demographic the demographic yeah um what actually is the menopause because we talk about it a lot mm-hmm. everybody knows that it happens people have been through it but what actually is it it's the, the the actual menopause is the last period that you have it's your final menstrual period okay. but you only know that you've had that when 12 more months have passed and you haven't bled. Okay. So the sort of process that most people are talking about is perimenopause. It's the bit before when your hormones are fluctuating because your ovarian reserves, your, your eggs are sort of starting to drop and things are less well controlled and they get huge fluctuations in their hormones, which then have lots of knock-on effects. That, that monthly fluctuation that we had before gets really erratic. Mm. Um, and then postmenopause is anything after your final menstrual period. So at the moment, uh, I know that we talk, we've talked a lot about and, and, and what, what is being perceived. I know there's a, there's a lot of things that are coming out at the moment about the menopause. There's a lot of people talking about it. There's a lot of books coming out, a lot of um, very well-known people sort of, mm. you know, going through it publicly. Mm. Um, I personally, um, it's sort of been glamorised a little bit. Um how long can this period of time take? So I was posting, I, I was doing my social stuff, which I don't really like doing, but I was doing that yesterday and talking about perimenopause. Um, and four years is the average. Okay. And then it can vary from immediate for people who've gone through it surgically. So if you have your ovaries removed and that's, that's you in menopause straight away. Um, but it can take up to 10 years. And I think that that's the biggest misperception that we've got is that it's something that happens in your 40s and 50s. Whereas in reality, I think it's one in 10 women go through natural menopause between 40 and 45, one in 100 under 40. Add another 10 years onto that as the run up. And Mm. people are experiencing it at a point in their lives when they're not expecting it. So therefore, I see loads of women who haven't put together what all these vague symptoms are and, and understood that actually what's happening is they're moving into that transition. Is it as traumatic as people... 
so there's, there's, when, when people are going through the menopause, um, what I've noticed is that A, people are scared about it and they're fearing going into it. I've mm. noticed that a lot. There's a lot of fear around menopause. Well, but also, is it, can it be less traumatic than people expect it to be? Yeah, there's two things there. One is that at the moment, I think we've done really well with getting awareness up. So there's lots of information, but that's not matched with lots of access to help. So we've created quite a lot of worry about it. And people, the, the sort of narrative seems to be that HRT is a panacea and everyone mm. should have it. And so people are quite panicky about not having access to it. And then I think the other side of it is that it's... It doesn't have to be traumatic if you know what it is. And I, th I think that because people miss it and they spend, I see women who've left partners, who've left jobs, who, you know, have had um, self-harm, suicidal ideation because of the mood change and the impact on self-esteem if you don't recognise what version of yourself is going to turn up each day. Mm. And so, you know, the bit that Colette does in terms of people knowing what they think and feel, they get really, you know, really confused about whether to sort of listen to their own narrative because it can be so variable. That's what's traumatic. If mm. it's if it's recognised early and you get appropriate help and advice and you get the right sort of treatment, whether that's hormones or not, depending on what, you, what your wishes are, it doesn't have to be traumatic. Mm. Colette, with sort of, I know, because obviously we, as we are talking about it, um and going through menopause as it is as one uh, element and one um uh, description of change for example from a therapy perspective what can you do to support that how can people start supporting from a from a psychological perspective um well interesting question um as i was listening to angela just then i think a lot of the the conversations around menopause at the moment um are quite narrow and a lot of women don't feel it applies to them so mm. in this room now I'm the only one of us who has fully gone through menopause and mine was surgical when I was 37 yeah you're not hearing as much about that so no. I get people who who think they they understand so I'm getting a few different types of people um people who think it can't be them because that's not the same as Davina they're seeing on the telly mm. yeah um, older people who do not like this conversation, um, they do not feel empowered by it. They they feel invaded yeah. and as though something sacred, like the almost like the last the last bit that's that's private to them has been taken. Mm -hmm. um, I'm hearing a lot of that actually. Um, I know for myself, I found that there wasn't enough medicalization. So just the, that part of it, you know, just the, this is what is going to happen. This is what you're going to need to do. I don't know if that's different now because it was over 10 years ago. For no, me. it's not. And that's what I'd be concerned about. But what you were saying, Angela, about people don't know whether to believe their own voice because mm. their voice is not one voice now. It's a committee. Mm. And... And some of that, I know in more ancient wisdom, we talk about kind of retaining the bleed and therefore retaining your wisdom. And that's how you get to a higher wisdom. But I had, um, I had one, one um, person, and she's allowed me to repeat this, who said it's really, really hard to be wisdom or anything else when you are melting in a puddle <laughs> of melt. Yeah. You know? Because a hot flush doesn't describe what happens. You know, it's debilitating. We get people who then become agoraphobic and they just cannot leave the house. Yeah. Just, you know, mm. for, for fear of what's going to happen, you get people who... Um, have psychotic blip, mm -hmm. um, uh, the kind of fragmented personality, um, all, all these things, and it's just frightening. And I don't think, I don't know if there is a way to prepare for it, but I, I know that what I'm hearing at the minute in mainstream media 
is almost offering like there's one way to do this and if you do it right you will be okay therefore if Mm. you're not okay you are doing something wrong now this is a narrative that I hear from women all the time not coping with your crying baby you're doing it wrong not coping with your periods you're doing it wrong Mm. not coping with your menopause you're doing it wrong because Davina's fine yeah. Um, so uh, that's kind of what I'm hearing. So obviously, I, I work mostly with allowing and finding space. So in my clinic, it's all just about people finding what they need to find for themselves. Mm. It's not particularly directive. That's how you describe yoga as well. It's exactly how I describe yoga as well. Is that a coincidence? I don't think it's a coincidence. <laughs> There's evidence <laughs> for yoga and menopause. It helps. It yeah. reduces symptoms. Mm. You know, it does. So it's a good. And I mean, the, the bit that you're talking about is the bit that kind of interests me professionally so we do quite a bit of work with maggie's with women who've got who are going through a menopause that's been induced by cancer precisely because i had exactly which is what you had Mm. and precisely because this is just not spoken about adequately in in my view i'm not sure that you can really call it informed consent if you sign up to a treatment and no one's really explained to you the longer term implications and giving you a set of choices so i look at it often from a a sexuality perspective because you know I think I said to you the reason I went into menopause training was because the sexual function work I was doing with women when I'd been trained in sexology was people at menopause um so these women that go through induced menopause and no one has spoken to them about vulval care or you know vaginal estrogens and things like that um they are having choices made for them because then they end up I had a, a lady that was unable to horse ride because it was so uncomfortable I have yeah. people that have given up having penetrative sex because it's become so uncomfortable and when you've had that medical trauma yeah that sort of existential thing of I've got a life-threatening illness and you've been through all the invasive treatments and then you come out the end and your body does not look the same and everybody expects you to be um you know pleased because you've survived yeah but but then you you don't recognize yourself and we're not helping it's just not right and also there is an element of you know I obviously with, with me in the gym I talk to a lot of people about what's going on in their environment and some of the guys that come in the gym are genuinely concerned about the woman that they have married mm. that all of a sudden is no longer or they don't feel that they are the same person anymore and they don't know what to do they don't know how to help they don't know you know how they can be supportive because yeah. this person is going through hell and and they don't know what to do one of the things that I think you have to understand and that I say a lot to people and I think it's relevant for what Collect us because I don't think we don't get trained very much as doctors in psychotherapeutic stuff, and I don't think that psychotherapeutic um, people get trained very much in medical stuff. But the way that progestogens can impact your nervous system is really biological. There right. is a breakdown product that binds with the GABA nervous system that's meant to make us feel very chilled and relaxed. It's what alcohol and, and diazepam and things work on. Yeah. So for most people in the second half of their cycle or when progestogen levels are high, they feel pretty chilled. But for one in 10 ish, maybe more, it's a completely opposite reaction. So they get very negative. They'll look at that. And I, you know, I have um, those sort of symptoms and changes in, in my own life. And I will look at my world one day and think it looks dreadful or look at it the next and it's absolutely fine and I think that that is something that we need women to understand it's not a lack of grip it's not being unable to put into place your CBT and all the sort of tools we give people it's a biological feeling of negativity and anxiety and um, and it's something that you've got to work with and do something about often medically and to destigmatize because most of the women that I see that have got this genuinely think it's them that something is wrong with them because they can't mod- sort of control their emotions or their reactions and yeah. they lose faith in themselves it's a huge huge deal 
Colette, when you have got um, somebody that really um, is going through something that is very changing, so they are in the process of changing, whether it is menopause, whether it is, um, you know, a social situation, whether it is whatever, whatever it is, what what is your process? How do you start that the conversation about what happens? Well, that depends very much on who walks through the door. Um, I would normally start, so I work in six-week blocks. And that's as much for me as for someone else. Yeah. Um, so I'll always run a single assessment to see if it's the right thing to do to work together and then work in six-week blocks. And people tend to fall into one or two ways of being. Mm. They either just want to do like a verbal vomit. They want to talk without breathing for about six weeks. Yeah. Um, and then kind of just leave it in the room and and go. Yeah. Or sometimes they they kind of they want they feel the need to have some structure, some external scripting. Um, kind of, you know, ask me something, tell me something, tell me what's. So they tend to be the the, the two ways people come in. Um, more often than not, it's just verbal vomit. They just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk, cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. Talk a bit more, and then it's like what's left at the end of that. Yeah. Um, so sometimes if I'm working with something like a paradoxical field of change, which is where you you kind of allow how it is. Mm-hmm. So you, what, you're, what you're trying to avoid is the resistance. Yep. So an example would be, so someone would come down and say, um, well, I'm just not going to do that. I said, Don't then. Yeah. And then where's the resistance? But, but it's not about encouraging. It's not about validating. It's not about saying this is what you need to do. It's just about saying, well, you know, you have your own agency that's your Mm. autonomy you don't choose to do something that's absolutely fine yeah and sometimes it's about looking at um the the more the more kind of objective so so say you've got um i think i've got something quite innocuous say you've got like a smoker who's saying you know i i want to stop smoking i say fine okay then and then two minutes in well i'm not going to stop then fine okay then are you saying i shouldn't no are you saying i should no um, so, so you get this point where someone no longer has the resistance it's no longer about an external script or my wishes and, yeah. I, and I will often say to people you know, it, it doesn't impact my day I'm, it's not here for me and ultimately if you choose not to smoke don't smoke if you want help to get to that that's a different question but if you choose to smoke and you feel you're here because you kind of feel you shouldn't but actually you choose to smoke then crack on yeah. Because you're a grown-up. But isn't that everything? Like the verbal it's vomit, the, yeah, it's, it's that whole it's incongruence. Yeah. It's, it's what's left mm. after... It's a bit like having a rucksack of everything you've ever had, everything you've ever been and everywhere you've ever been on your bus of life. Yeah. And then deciding who you're pushing off it, mm. you know. And so it all ends up in the floor and then you kind of sort through it and go, actually, I want that bit back and I want that bit back and mm, I'm not sure about that from when I was 12. I might leave that. So it's, it's more like that. But it does depend on the person. Some people like CBT. Some people like kind of rational emotive stuff some people just like to talk in a kind of person-centered narrative way some people like the kind of psychoeducation i've got a big whiteboard some people like transpersonal or santre or art therapy and, and often it's a mixture of all of those things as yeah. people evolve and and what what they were using no longer serves them mm. yeah why do we find change hard why is that from a psychological perspective why do we find change difficult 
I think if you look evolutionarily, you know, anything that's new is potentially dangerous. And the whole point of your being is to stop you dying. That's kind of the point of you. And I often say to people who come into my room, you know, well done. You've survived. Whatever you're doing, you know, you're still here. Yeah. Go you. Um, So anything that's new can potentially end our lives. So we kind of should be cautious. We should be aware of it. And is that the same, you know, obviously with the, the hormonal changes that we go through and not just for women as well, is that... Would you say that that was very similar in your world, Dr. Angela? Which bit? The 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 sort of the why 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 change why we find change so difficult. So, um, you know, let's obviously just said about the you know prehistorically and you know primarily mm-hmm. uh, change is supposed to be feared because it might mean death or mm-hmm. you know it's is is do you find that that's maybe a primal reason why people fear menopause menopause. I think it's more to do with feeling unfamiliar in your own skin. I think that the physical changes that we go through genuinely affect that sense of constance, constancy. Is that even a word? It's that yes. sense of permanence in your body. Consistency. I think it would be. Thank you very much. Um, again, adding to my stress this morning. I can't even speak. Um, I just make new words up. Angela. No, I was just, going with it. it. I thought go it was going it. to take off actually and go viral that word. <laughs> But they, they, you know, if you, when I see people, I'm seeing people who are either ill. So, you know, obviously in general practice, I'm seeing people that have got new symptoms, that they recognise something feels different or is behaving differently. Or I see people who are going through that transition of menopause or something like, you know, pregnancy, puberty or or whatever. Um, They haven't asked for the change. No. And so there is often a resistance or an anxiety around it because they haven't they haven't chosen it and worked towards it. So I think I talked about it before with that whole prolactin thing in stress hormone that we our stress hormone goes down a bit when we are in a situation that is challenging but we feel in control. Yeah. That's a good novelty to be in. That's kind of dopamine receptors, everything's going really well, we're curious, we're winning at life, it's good. Yeah. But in that first bit when you don't quite know what's happening and you haven't got the tools to feel a sense of control over it and everything is unfamiliar then that is not something that people feel comfortable with at all and I in in the gym I think um what I see uh a lot of because a lot of men come to my gym that's 50 50 split to be honest I see a lot of um men who don't feel like themselves they're starting to in their sort of 40s starting to feel that something isn't quite right they're starting to get more pains than they used to they're starting to get injured quicker they're starting to that you know they're, they're, they're physically seeing a, mm. a reduction of their what they would describe as their manliness mm-hmm. is that i mean that's as biological as the female menopause yeah it's a thing definitely it doesn't happen abruptly like oh well menopause just said doesn't happen abruptly but you don't end up with a complete absence of mm. hormones or very low levels of hormones but um testosterone production decreases over life yeah. and it is really poorly recognised that a proportion of men will have testosterone deficiency, which mimics a lot of the menopause symptoms. So, um, you know, they get lots of sexual dysfunction with that. So you can get erectile dysfunction, loss of libido, um, difficulties with kind of response and climax and things like that. But you can also get the more insidious stuff. So um, fatigue and loss of vitality and, you know, your bone density decreases and your mental um, clarity and things can decrease. And because we don't recognise it, and again, I think because of that sort of 
masculine culture that we have where we don't sort of encourage people to um to feel vulnerable and recognize those things a lot of it goes under the radar yeah um i was never trained in it as a gp it was when i was doing wow. my sexology training that i was sitting on the bs and i'm now a member of the bssm british society for sexual medicine committee mm. but when i first went to one of their um cpd days it was pretty much the first time that i understood that that was a thing yeah and we, so for context, one of the commonest things you see in GP is I'm tired. In fact, we've got an acronym for the bloods, you know, it's T-A-T-T, tired all the time. It's that common. Wow. And the, in men, it's more likely that you're going to find testosterone deficiency than you're going to find something like anemia or thyroid dysfunction. But it's just not part of our normal panel of bloods because we think testosterone is about sex. And as GPs, we think that sex is not our bag usually. Wow. So it just feels like we just like with women we need to recognize that the sex hormones do a hell of a lot more than just modify you know reproductive function and sexual function yeah i find that a lot in my clinic actually when i I broach something about sex with a client and they always look like well i'm not here to talk about that Mm. so fair enough um and then you know weeks down the line when there's a strong relationship and we're talking again and, and then you find out that maybe someone had um an experience that now gives them a fear of having a new partner which may explain why they've been in an unfulfilling relationship for the last 25 years and why they find themselves in my chair in the first place and it all came from one incident early on Mm. that 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 they haven't discussed or they haven't you know so it's it's those kind of things but there's this real kind of oh no we don't bring that here we don't talk about that here i've got clients who speak in such euphemisms that i genuinely have no idea what they're talking about Right. And I have to go right back and say, are we discussing penetrative sex? Are we discussing, mm-hmm. you're going to have to use some words I understand. Yeah. Well, for me, it's a lot of the people come into the, the gym and the clinic because they are seeing a physicality of change. They're seeing, you know, a body that used to look A and now it looks B, C, D, E, you know, version Z. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's for me, it's it's about and that this obviously goes with any age, but it's about changing not just the way that they look, but the way that they feel about themselves and how that matters to them and on what level their body is as a purposeful vessel rather than you know something that is used as a beacon to attract and it it you know I've noticed across the past 10 years specifically is that there are many many more hormonal um, issues that are bringing people in to the clinic I don't know obviously with all the 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 actual statistics but just from um, in my world Mm. you know we've we've seen a massive drop in male testosterone which Mm. has then meant more men are needing to find something like for example powerlifting or strongman Mm. training Mm. has massively increased because you know it, it you know, the the deadlift for example has been proven to increase dopamine which then has a massive effect on the testosterone yeah, it level does, yeah. so it's it, all that stuff is really fascinating it, it is really fascinating and you know one of the reasons that you know my gym has um, a great reputation for both men and women is because of the hormonal benefits it mm. has for people in going through any sort of um hormonal fluctuation change or or or, or sort of life process really um because like we've always talked about before it's the combination of changing environment changing hormones changing emotions changing the way the brain performs and changing the physicality it's all absolutely congruent it's and completely interlinked. I'm, I'm trying to sort of remember the quote of it but there's 
Testosterone kind of gets misrepresented as being something that causes aggression, but it's more a pro-social hormone. It's kind of when yeah. you're winning at life, it goes up, which is your dopamine thing. But they, there's loads of stats that show it. You know, if you fire someone at work, you get a, you get a peak in your testosterone because you really? feel powerful. There was a study of a guy, and I might quote this wrong because I often do. It's a big mess in my brain a lot of the times. But <laughs> there's, um, there was a guy who lived on an island who had a partner that lived um, over the water. And when he was on the island, his beard growth slowed and his testosterone testosterone was low and this was recorded in a scientific study and when he was with his partner and able to have regular sex his beard growth increased and his testosterone went up I mean it's it's a it's like kind of positive cycling negative cycling thing and I think there's loads of interactions as we always say between brain body mind world and yet if you just take a really narrow window and say I'm just gonna look at your body um, you don't get anywhere do you know, it's the same with um, hertuism, with um, female polycystic ovarian mm. syndromes that, that have um, beard facial beard growth for women. And, you know, when I've noticed with um, some of my PCOS clients is that when they are stressed and eating a lot more stress-increasing foods, they have a lot more uh, facial hair mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it increases the dehydrotestosterone, which then has a massive effect on the, the hair growth. And it, it, it does sound very, very similar because when they're in a different, environment to when they are you know maybe reduce the amount of carbohydrates in the diet only for insulin resistant PCOS but when they reduce the carbohydrates the the facial hair growth actually genuinely slows down but I think we have to understand that when we use the word stress we're talking about hormones chemicals you know when we feel something we're feeling it because of chemicals being released and yeah if you take it right back down to that kind of evolutionary basis, as Colette was saying, stress you know, isn't always a bad thing. No, but it's nor certain, is anxiety. But it slows down. The body doesn't want to reproduce when it feels like it's stressed because stress, as we feel it now, the things that make us stress in our modern lives are not necessarily things that might impact whether it's safe to bring a baby into the world. Yeah. But back in sort of, you know, early times, stress was a response to a predator or stress was a response to lack of ability to get food. We were designed that those hormones would suppress these things until we were in safer times. So why it surprises us yep. that these things are interlinked, I don't know, because it, it's like the very basis of how we pass our genes on that we do that when we've got the best chance of success. Yeah. I, I get people come to me and they literally come in and it's almost like they're saying, I am bringing you my emotions. We do not need to talk about my body. Yeah. Like, but, but, but what is your body carrying you through the day? And isn't that how you're experiencing? And I'll often say to people, they say, I'm anxious. So where do you feel that? I say, oh, what do you mean? I say, how, do, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know you feel anxious? Where do you feel it? What tells you? What are those signals? And it's frequently tummy or kind of fluttering mm. heart or something. And one of the things I sometimes do is... Um, this isn't as weird as it's going to sound, but I realise it's going to sound weird. A huge piece of paper, and I'll lay a client down and draw around them, like you used to when you were kids. I presume they're willing. You're not literally <laughs> laying them down. You know. Onto the paper, client. <laughs> you will lie down. <laughs> That's what I use Gemma for, to kind of hold them down. Draw around them. And, and we, we look at the entirety that, that is them. That yeah. is the person they are. When you think that you fit, that's you. That's you and that's all of you. That and is you your own vessel. that. Mm. There's you, that dissociative thing though, isn't there, about... Not, oh, yes. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm bringing you to, I know that I want you to go there. Oh, yes. But that thing of not knowing what you feel in your body and being very yeah. disconnected from it, I yeah. see that quite a lot in my work, but I know I'm going to let you talk about it, Colette. Or, or, knowing what, or knowing a feeling and then allowing your head to connect a, pr- a prior story to it. You know, so I, I remember talking to a long, long time ago now, someone who was shaky, very, very shaky all the time um, and, and, and had that as a, an anxiety type response. And I remember saying one day, the window's open, it's cold. 
Now, I'm not saying that that's why that person was shaking, but it could have been. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, we do what we do and we did what we did and we think what we think uh, because completely. that's what we thought. And sometimes you just need to break that cycle and say, well, where do you feel this? Mm. Or, or with sex, for example, you say, you know, well, do you want a, a different part of your life in that? And the amount of times people don't know they have that choice. Mm. It's like, well, it's just yep. been like this, so this is how it is. And that's um, how we're wired. I mean, that that's exactly, you know, our, our previous experiences have resulted in the wiring that we've yeah. got. And, and the they've resonance. worked because we're not dead. Yeah, that's exactly. the thing. So it's not like it's not working. But I've never, you said to me, you know, people coming to me, are they looking for change? I have never in all the years I've been practicing, had someone knock on my door because they're having the best day ever. No. That has never Mm. happened. Absolutely. So most people come when it's too painful to stay where they are. One thing that I've noticed, and I mean, you can obviously tell me what you think about this, is um, that worry, um, which is sort of a a cousin of anxiety, um, and the reason that we have it, it's actually only been recently discovered. I was looking into this during lockdown because there were a lot of people that were worried. Not so much, I mean, obviously there was lots of people that were lots of everything, but, you know, I got a lot of worry. I am worried about my business. I am worried about my children. I am worried, 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 worried. And I was like, well, what is it? You know, and I looked into this and apparently we have worry, very different from anxiety, but worry is supposed to push us out of a situation and it's actually a very helpful asset motivating very motivating it's problem solving it is very problem problem solving solving. so i get quite excited when i start worrying Mm. because i'm thinking oh gosh change is abundant well yes i know it's one of the reasons i I worry so much about the banding around of psychiatric terms like anxiety like Mm. depression because it's oh i'm depressed what does that mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. And you get to a point, and it isn't, it's loneliness. Or yeah. it's, no, we're just um, pathologising normal yeah. things. It's yeah. back to the feeling with, isn't it? That, you know, this, this, the whole, Absolutely. I know you've seen a feeling, well, you, I know you've seen a feeling yeah. wheel, Colette, but... Oh, the feeling first, wheel on the wall in my office. Exactly. <laughs> but the first time I saw one was when I was doing my sexology training, and it's literally just, it's really beautiful. It's like a colour wheel, and it talks about all the different feelings that you can have as a human. But I think what's lovely about it is they're all kind of valid, and I think we all get raised or certainly you know I was raised and it was probably a a, a thing to raise children that some of the negative feelings are things that you shouldn't show they're almost naughty like like being sad is a failure of happiness that's right not a a thing in its own not just an inevitability that both sides of it exist Mm. so we I do think we pathologize people and say that there's something wrong with them when they when they're reacting extremely sensibly it's like PTSD it's a completely sensible reaction in many ways yes and I I absolutely agree in fact my youngest who was not massively keen on going to school this uh, <laughs> I spoke to your youngest he was yes. not massively not keen on going to school fan of going to big school but it was like look you can feel whatever you want to feel and I love that you are able to know what you're feeling because that is a very advanced state of being if you mm. can know that you feel happy sad glad you know all these different feelings we had it on our fridge to help I'd take yes. them when they were full of emotion and they didn't know what to do with it I'd kind of march them there right. and go, well, what point is it? to it yeah. which one are we doing where, where are we mm. and but but I absolutely do not condone in any way, shape or form whining. Mm-hmm. So whining is not a feeling, right? Can okay, I just no, point this wheel. out? I don't believe it's on the wheel. <laughs> it's so I think not you're on correct. the wheel. It is absolutely not. Tell me how you feel. Do not whine about it. Yeah. Because if you're whining, that is not at all in any way, shape or form positive and moving. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not an, it's not helpful. 
it's you can tell me what you feel whether it's it's a really positive feeling whether it's a negative feeling that's great all the feelings matter but whining about them doesn't and it's actually yeah. illegal in my and, house and it's interesting. interesting it's not a reason not to act so yeah. i had a similar conversation with my youngest about being sad and i said well then you'll have to go and do it sad then won't mm. you yes because you are going to do it yes so if, if it's a sad you're doing it with you go yes off you trot off you trot <laughs> <laughs> but it's the shoulds isn't it it's the i should feel is where the problem comes and yeah. maybe that's yeah. where i mean i'm I gonna should. be how i feel and i have to. to the whiners yeah. i'm gonna be kinder yeah. you're gonna be kinder. I'm gonna be kinder to the whiners. oh i used to have in my gym in uh, in iceland uh, there was a a big sign very 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 large sign that said ekivali and that means in icelandic no whining and a big cross <laughs> through it and <laughs> it we was... will all come to your house to whine <laughs> absolutely not at all you will be marched out no but it's it's not it's there there is a point of whining and i get that but very 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 short term yeah but if you think if, if we had to wait to be happy so we'd have to know what that meant and we'd have to not be manic and surely if you're happy all the time that'd be mania but if we had to be wait to be happy to act which i'm a bit concerned might be how people think they should be yeah then nothing would ever get done mm. yeah um it's, it's not a, it's not a constant state it's a very demanding term I should or I have to. It's also, I think, being able to accept what you feel as a useful indicator, you know, in a yeah, kind of yeah. some, something in my gut is telling me yeah. this doesn't feel comfortable. And then you do that whole, well, when did I feel this last time? What does it remind me of? Mm. And then work out whether you're really concerned about this situation mm. or whether or it just reminds one. you of the yeah. previous one. But to say that it's all right to feel that and actually, you know, because a lot of people who have, you know, people pleasers, people who have issues with boundaries, they ignore those feelings they and do. progress. So this yeah. is the only radar you've got. And I think a lot of mental illness sits in that space between I feel it internally and then I'm kind of, I'm allowed to show it externally. <laughs> exactly. And I also think that when we are looking at the physicality of change, you know, there is something that is really important when it's that you, um, I always say it's punching through the brick. So um, if you if you look at change as a breeze block, um, and if you punch the breeze block, you're going to probably break your hand and it's going to I hurt. Certainly almost would. certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Would, you, would you say almost I certainly? I would say almost yeah. certainly. Okay, go yes. for that. So, But if you punch through the brick... There's nothing certain. Yes, and if you learn how to punch through the brick, the brick is going you to break. You will still almost certainly break your hand. I know, I you won't. I'm thinking about osteoporosis. I'm really <laughs> concerned <laughs> here. It's really good for osteoporosis. I'm, I'm wondering it's who's in there it is. It's I'm impact. wondering who set the target and if actually I wanted to punch through the brick in the first place. Well, this is an externally scripted target that I... I haven't even been I'm in the wrong half of the feeling wheel over this task. I'm definitely... So I'm talking about the brick. I'm talking and about personal agency and whether I want the brick. And you're looking for a bandage. I'm thinking of scones all of a sudden. It all seems to be a lot like scones. So when you actually punch through a brick and you know you have this technique... Is it and like you... when you stand on a paddleboard? No, not at all. It's not like standing on a paddleboard. You punch through the brick, the brick breaks and your hand goes through it and you're focusing on the end result and okay. you're focusing through the brick and that's the change. So when I'm you've thinking got... thinking A&E. Are you genuinely thinking that in the current NHS this is not something you, you should be advocating? What's wrong with you? Have no. you never punched through a brick before? No, no Gemma. Why? <laughs> is that just not a normal thing? Not magic. No. <laughs> 
Well, no, for me, and it no is. more words are needed. <laughs> okay, just you and Karate Kid then. Hey? Karate Kid, mm. yeah. But it's also, you can use a punching bag as well. So when I'm teaching somebody how to box, you are, I always teach them to punch through the bag. So they're not just punching the bag because the bag will just then absorb everything that they're putting in. Totally when I was doing boxing, I was punching the bag. Where were you? And exactly, punch <laughs> through the bag. You've got to get to the outcome. And, and that's for me when I, when I teach change and the benefits of it because change is going to be different from where you are right now. Mm. And going through that, taking on the challenge, taking on the that bit where you know it's that it's the choosing the hard mm. it's it's the right how steep is this mountain and as long as you can see the top as long as you know what the top is even if the top's covered in clouds you can you can imagine what it's like being at the top um, i think that's what's but i think that's what goes wrong with menopause because actually societally we do not value very much of where you end up at the other end of menopause very Absolutely very good not, point because what use are we as women because oh yeah we're brought yeah. up to be objectified how we look that's yeah. it really or um how many kids we can raise mm. or what we can bring to the economy so when you're spat out the other side not really looking your best not able to um, reproduce probably not wanting to have sex with your husband anymore and um, and probably not redoing really much in the workforce then what use are we so what can you say right so Ooh, i can feel a rant you really on. did warn to that <laughs> oh, I, I did didn't i, I we're going to take that later for coffee cup yeah, we're going to talk later. about we're going to talk this through <laughs> we're going to punch through that brick <laughs> thank you you're welcome I'll get the brick yeah, it's a metaphorical brick though <laughs> what would you say and I absolutely agree with that because I don't think, I mean, and, and I love the outcome end of menopause. For me, mm. I can't wait. Um, we know how Polly's yeah, to go. So I am like, <laughs> I can't wait. Give me it now. Um, I but, could. <laughs> please. Um, but with the outcome area, what are the benefits of it? And I really want us to hit on the benefits of change because, you know, when you're going through change, it can feel like the whole world is against you and all these bad, bad, bad things. But what are the benefits of changing? I think the thing about menopause is or the, the thing that makes women ranty, and maybe this is just my view being imposed on others, but I think it's when you realise the game is rigged, actually. For your whole life, most women have been chasing that half stone that if they could just get it off, they would feel good about themselves. If they could just get their capsule wardrobe together, they would be winning at life. And if they could just get the childcare bit sorted, it would yep. be fine. And then this bit comes along and you realise that no matter how hard you try, you're going to end up spat out on the other side and you're not going to be valued in the way that society tells you like Colette said that we should value women so I think that the positive is a shifting of external validation of what I'm worth to the world to an internal validation of actually I'm going to start doing things because of me yeah. and what I want and how you know my body I'd like it to be functional for me so I get to do what I want with my body rather than judge it on how it looks and what other people think of it yeah. um and I think it's a it's a time when women can really get their voice because for those that have had children, you know, you're generally at a stage where they're growing a bit and you can start to come back to some of the things that were you. Mm -hmm. You know, we lose a lot of us in having children. I think there's a it's, there's great things that happen, but there's also quite a loss of self sometimes. And and it can be looked at positively. And in other cultures, they elevate women at that stage because wow. of their wisdom and experience and what they can offer. Yeah. Our culture just kind of goes, well, we'd rather look at a 20-year-old. And it's like, well, that's not great for us, really. So we think we need to change that. And I think, to be fair to the celebrities that are doing what they're doing at the moment, I think one of the things they really are doing is getting a voice to people that are starting to feel invisible. And that's a really good thing to do. Yeah. So there are, there are benefits. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, Colette, what are the benefits of change? 
if you want change, then you're no longer stuck where you were and you don't like that anymore. Boom. Um, but often it's just around um, a kind of empowerment and a, a sort of... A, People can often feel that they are not capable of making anything happen ever in the whole world ever and everything yeah. is done to them. It's kind of helpless, hopeless, mm. particularly if you're running to an external script. So what you're speaking about is a Rogerian internal loci of evaluation. I knew that, totally. You knew that. Um, oh, that, that good one. old remembrance. That one, yeah. yeah. Um, and and, and if, if you then choose your mountain, choose your breeze block, and say, actually, I'm choosing that for me and this is what I'm going to do with that choice... It's really not about the consequence or the outcome or oh, that's always half chance. It's about setting the intention and pitching up for yourself um, with your... And then you kind of create almost like a, a roadmap behind you of what you could do. And if you can if you can climb that mountain, if you can hit that breeze block, if you can, I don't know, make the change, however small it is, then you can make the next one. And it, and it, it brings with it possibility. Yeah. Or, or that you don't want the change, that's also important. So people who come to me who've been told they need to change, um, nine times out of ten, you know, they don't want to. Mm. They're perfectly fine. Yeah. So, and, and, and again, allowing that agency of person. For me, with, with what I do and all the changes that I help and guide people through, it's, it's, first of all, we choose a change that is simple and we, we record a programme that they can. So it gives it gives me proof. And for example, it, you know, I had someone at the gym the other day who said that I can't jump, I can't jump, I can't jump. And then I was like, well, I'm going to teach you how to jump. And then she jumped. She was like, but that's not very high. And I'm like, but you jumped. Mm. So you can't now. It's like you trying to get me to do a handstand this morning. Is yes. A bit, yes, it is a bit yeah. like that, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, but did you? Sort of. No, no, no. Did you actually stand on your hands for a very short period of time? I did. That's right. So you therefore did a handstand. Yes. Exactly. So in rational emotive therapy, you'd say, yeah, I had, I had proven that that was possible. You have so proven. I can no longer say I can't do it. That's right. Now it becomes a, I can do it, however. And I can yeah. improve. Yes. And this is the measurable aspect mm. of what I do. So it's like, right, okay, you can jump now onto a three inch platform which is a large platform so then we go next time we can jump onto a four inch and then all of a sudden you're jumping onto a 20 inch platform and you're still thinking unless you did the work at the beginning all of a sudden you're like i am a jumper but you're a jumper at three inches mm -hmm. like you know never mind yeah. the 20 inches and it's the change that you can do so you start with something that is a simple change and then all of a sudden by osmosis you then become you then become the person that you wanted to change into without actually realising. And I think this is one of the biggest things for me about keeping data, because I'm a data geek and I love it. I love numbers. I love graphs. I love anything that's on a spreadsheet, you know, anything at all that you can show people. But the only thing we've got is proof here. Mm -hmm. And that for me is, is, is the most important part of my job because the data doesn't matter whether it's a measurement of some, of a height, of a weight, of a body weight, of a, of a tape measure. It doesn't matter. It has to be measured for me. Mm -hmm. And then it's only proof that you can and change has then happened and then we can continue to change. Mm -hmm. Change is something that is always going to happen for us. And, you know, it's, it's one of the most exciting parts of my job. Well, we are, there's that, quote isn't there that ships aren't meant to stay in the port you know you're not meant to sort of do nothing you are meant to evolve and move 
through all yeah. sorts of changes. Yeah. Ages and stages. And on that note, ladies, that was a very beautiful way to end a wonderful podcast about change. Thank you very much. Thank you, Gemma. Thank you, Angela. Thank you. The Doctor, the Therapist and the Coach was presented by Gemma Taylor with Dr. Angela Wright and Colette Saffil. This was a Live Lounge podcast production from YO1 Radio. For more episodes of this and other podcasts, go to yo1radio.co.uk.